Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda a voice in the desert now here's crystal heath all right hello everyone happy thursday to you you're listening to 101.1 fm experience liberty radio from liberty baptist church how about the women's olympic hockey team for this country vindication at last if you were not watching last night, women's U.S. hockey team beat Canada for the gold medal in hockey for the first time in, like, two decades. Canada has won women's hockey in 2002, 2006, 2010, and 2014. This year, that all changed. America. By the way, Canada in men's curling, gold in 2006, 2010, and 2014, lost to the United States in 2018. Booyah. Go America. So, um, I think that means we own Shania Twain now, too. I think that's just how it works for you Canadians. Uh, we just, we just, like, took everything from you. Canada, or Canada curling, hockey. We're the best. We're the best. Hmm. Okay, uh, on today's program, we have a lot to get to. Um, There's some things happening here in Clark County that you are probably going to want to be aware of, and we are going to get to those at the end of the program. But the focus of our show today is going to be on uh, last week's uh, Parkland school shooting, as well as some gun control issues that I've seen being debated around on social media. So it's going to be a, a more of a serious, somber show today because there are just some things that need to be uh, discussed. I thought it was uh, such a, such a good move for President Trump yesterday. He hosted families who lost siblings and children and friends uh, at, at in the Parkland school shooting. He hosted them at the White House and they got to sit there and just talk to him and tell him what they were feeling, tell him their thoughts, uh, tell him their concerns. And it was it was very moving. And I think it was just a really smart move. Um, not even politically smart. It was just it was compassionate. It was caring. It was tell me tell me what you think. Tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what you think we should do. And uh, it was just it was. I think it was a special moment. I don't remember ever seeing anything like this. Before I've seen past presidents comfort families, but to where a president would invite them in and say, you know what, I don't know what you're going to say. Say whatever you want. Tell me what it is. It was, to me, it was, it was, it was perfect. Uh, Last night, the president tweeted, I will always remember the time I spent today with courageous students, teachers, and families. So much love in the midst of so much pain. We must not let them down. We must keep our children safe. Now, the president uh, is going to look at banning bump stocks. We'll talk about that in a little while. Um, Students there said, you know, that was a step in the right direction, but think that more should be done. The thing about bump stocks is you can basically get the same effect I believe with you know, essentially like a rubber band. So um, it's not, uh, it's a lot of our gun thoughts and gun concerns and gun conversations are based on misinformation and misunderstanding about firearms. So we're going to talk about this today. Also yesterday, uh, CNN had a, uh, a town hall wherein it was similar to the Trump setting, except that it was moderated uh, by Jake Tapper. And um, 
it was instead of with the president, it was with uh, Senators Marco Rubio from Florida and Bill Nelson from Florida. Uh, Dana Lash was also there and Broward County Sheriff's uh, Scott Israel were there. And students and parents were given the opportunity to ask questions about gun control and school safety. Uh, and it was a very, um, it was a very tense at some times situation. There were students that were angry, and rightfully so. Um, there were good questions. There were some not some good, good questions. And uh, one of the students named Colton Hobb, a, uh, a, a junior at the school, said he was approached by CNN to ask a question, but decided not to after the network gave him a scripted question and would not allow him to ask the question he wrote himself. He's a member of the junior ROTC who helped to shield students while the school was under attack and said he was going to ask about using veterans as armed security guards in the school uh, because CNN had asked them originally to write up their own questions and he said that instead of allowing him to ask his own question they gave him one that he they wanted him to ask instead. So... Um, I, I mean, honestly, it's not, um, CNN is denying this, by the way, <laughs> but this is not unusual as someone who has seen news operations and quote unquote live <laughs> town hall settings and stuff. All of the questions that are asked are screened beforehand. Now, you could stand up there and say something that isn't written on your card if you wanted to. But all of the questions are gone through. Oftentimes, they will reword or rephrase or suggest modifications. It's television. Even network news, bottom line is, it's television. I've, I've seen it done. I've watched it be done. I was given the opportunity once to ask... Uh, then-candidate Trump a question in a town hall setting in at one news network. But earlier that day, I had appeared on another news network speaking uh, uh, about uh, an issue related to Trump. And I, I, I could have stood up and I could have asked a question, but I let the producer know, hey, I was on this other network earlier today. I'm guessing you probably, now that you know that, would not want me to ask a question because then it looks like you're well, anyhow, it's neither here nor there. Point being, trust me, every question is reviewed. Every questioner is uh, is checked out, and this is this. Though CNN is denying this, I am more inclined to believe the young man based on what I have seen from my experience with major news outlets, limited uh, though it may be. All right, let me just I'll just I'll just leave that one there. So, uh let's talk for a minute about uh the shooting. Okay? Fox News and many other outlets now have reported that the alleged Florida school shooter, although I'm not sure why we're still calling him alleged when he has confessed, but Nicholas Cruz, well, I mean, okay, he wasn't found guilty yet, but he has confessed. Nicholas Cruz was reported to the FBI, to law enforcement locally, and to the school prior to the shooting. Attorney General Jeff Sessions uh, last week ordered an immediate review after it emerged that the FBI had not acted on a recent tip that Florida school shooting suspect Nicholas Cruz wanted to kill people and that there was a potential of him conducting a school shooting. In a statement, the Bureau admitted to receiving a call on January 5th from a person close to Cruz who contacted the FBI through its public access line tip line to express concerns about his erratic behavior and disturbing social media posts. Under established protocols, the information provided by the caller should have been assessed as a potential threat to life, the FBI statement said. We have determined that these protocols were not followed for the information received on January 5th. It is now clear that the warning signs were there and tips to the FBI were missed, Sessions said last Friday in a statement. We see the tragic consequences of those failures. 
The FBI, in conjunction with our state and local partners, must act flawlessly to prevent all attacks. He continued, this is imperative and we must do better. I have ordered the Deputy Attorney General to conduct an immediate review of our process here at the Department of Justice and FBI to ensure that we reach the highest level of prompt and effective response to indications of potential violence that come to us. The FBI concluded that the caller's information was not forwarded to the Miami FBI field office and that no further investigation was conducted at the time. That's huge. Now let's add to that. From the New York Post, deputies called the suspected shooter's home 39 times over seven years. Before Nicholas Cruz carried out his mass killing at a Florida high school last week, police responded to his home 39 times over a seven-year period, according to disturbing new documents. Details about the calls to the Broward County Sheriff's Office obtained from police records by CNN were not immediately available. Uh, and it was impossible to determine if all of the calls involved Cruz, but the nature of the emergencies at his Parkland home included a mentally ill person, child or elderly abuse, domestic disturbances, and missing persons. A schoolmate, Brody Speno, told the network that cops were called to Cruz's home almost every other week. He said he knew Cruz from elementary school and described him as an evil kid who was always getting himself in trouble. Okay. Once a month, 39 times over seven years is basically once a month for seven years. His classmates saying, oh yeah, the police are at his house every other week. Officially, we're being told 39 times in seven years. 39 times. That's almost once a month for seven years. How many times have the police visited your home? I'm guessing you could probably count them on one hand. If you're listening to this program, that's my guess. I can think of one time in all of my growing up years that the police came to my parents' house, and that was because it was back in the day when we had dial-up, and for some reason our modem... uh, or uh, one of our laptops when we had been to a uh, when we had been on the road with my dad traveling for his business, our or one of the laptops you had to dial a nine and a one before the you had to put in like a I don't know how to describe it if you if you weren't around at that time you're not going to understand this at all but you had to like tell it what number to dial the computer to connect to the internet and the prefix at the hotel was a nine and a one. When we got back home, our prefix was one and then the number. So someone forgot to take out the nine and the one, and then our modem kept dialing 911, and we didn't know, or the computer kept dialing 911. We didn't know it, so the police showed up at the house because they're like, hey, somebody keeps dialing 911, and we're all like, no, we're not. And then we finally figured out that it was the laptop that was calling 911 on our behalf. But anyway, that's the only time I can remember in my entire life growing up that the police came to our house. The police were at this kid's house almost once a month for seven years. The FBI, and now we've learned that it was actually twice the FBI was notified about this kid, but details saying he might conduct a school shooting. This was told to the FBI. And the FBI failed miserably. I mean, we can apparently track Russians who are on Facebook just, you know, fooling around, but we cannot follow up on a kid with a real name, a real address, and a real substantive threat to life. Think about that for a little while. And then let's think about this. In our country, for over 200 years, men and women and young people even have owned firearms. For over 200 years, firearms are an integral part of American history. You you may like them, you may not like them, but that's just just factual. Guns have been an integral part of this country since its founding. It's only been in the last 30 years that we've seen these school shootings. So what's changed? 200 years plus of gun ownership. 30 years of school shootings.
So we're going to talk about some things about guns and gun control today. We're going to talk about some myths about gun control. We're going to talk about some possible solutions. Well, not solutions, but some remedies to hopefully prevent things like this in the future. And I say not solutions because we're never going to find a solution to gun control. Even if you ban guns, criminals find a way, evil will find a way. But before we get into all of that, we need to preface the conversation we're about to have by saying this. Okay? Stick with me. Here. Whether you like guns or you don't like guns, whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, whether you prefer pizza or tacos, the beach or mountains, the bottom line that you need to understand when we talk about the gun control issue and its varying views, what you need to understand is that the two sides, main sides in this argument, are coming at this discussion from completely different perspectives. Completely different. Okay? And here's the difference. Conservatives believe, for the most part, that owning a firearm is a right, an actual God-given, if you will, right, the same as free speech or freedom of religion or of the press. And individuals on this side of the aisle tend to react to the gut-wrenching responses in the wake of tragedies where, where, it's, where we have these calls for outlawing all firearms, um, or even, you know, doing things like like removing bump stocks that don't appear to really have any concrete evidence to show that the measures being proposed would do anything more than punish law-abiding gun owners. On the flip side of this, you have those on the other side of the aisle who do not hold gun ownership as a right. They hold gun ownership as a privilege. Now, a privilege is something that can be taken away. It's something that can be limited. It's something that can be regulated. A right is not something that our government can take away, limit, or regulate. And that is the foundation of this argument. That is the foundation of why you have this clashing of ideas. Because at its core... What you have on one side is individuals who believe that owning firearms is a right. And it is on par with the right to free speech, uh, freedom of religion, the right to assembly, the free press, and so on. They believe that gun ownership is a right. And if it's a right, then the government has no business interfering with it. On the other side, you have individuals who believe that gun ownership is not a right, but a privilege. And if it's a privilege, then it can easily be limited, regulated, and taken away. That's why we have this major clash. Not so much because uh, people don't think that um, anyone should be allowed to own guns, but because the foundational belief about gun ownership and why anyone could or should or would have a gun is completely different. Now, when it comes to our founding fathers, they listed the right to bear arms, which basically means to own guns, if you will. They listed it as the second right in the Bill of Rights. To our founding fathers... And this is just a fact. You can agree or disagree about whether or not you like guns, but our founding fathers put the right to own a gun on the same level as the right to free speech, the right to free press, the right to assembly, the right to freedom of religion, and so on. That's kind of a big deal. But then you have those that will say, well, the founding fathers couldn't see what was coming. They weren't talking about machine guns. They didn't know we'd have school shootings, and so on. And that's the topic of today's program. Gun control, myths about gun control, and possible remedies to some of the violence we've been seeing. When we return from the break, we'll get into that. I don't think there's a solution. That's a hard thing to say. But we're going to talk about that too. Why I'm saying that we have some possible remedies, but maybe not solutions. Don't go away. All right, we're back. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church. Today we're 
addressing the very hard topic of gun control and responses to when evil happens and, and why there's this divide between those on one side and those on another. And we talked about how it's it's largely due to the underlying philosophy that you have to understand, and that is that one side views gun ownership as a right, and as a right akin to free press, freedom of assembly, uh, freedom of religion, whereas the other side views gun ownership as a privilege, and if a privilege, then that privilege can be regulated, limited, and taken away. So once we understand that, in fact, then we can move on to talk about uh, some gun control myths here, and then we'll get to some some possible remedies. Again, they're not the things I'm going to mention here are not going to be solutions. There are no solutions, and uh, we'll talk about that too. And I know that sounds like a horrible thing to say. It it, it bothers me even saying it, but I thought about this a lot. Uh, as I was getting ready for this program, and I, I think we have to come to a place where we're, we're, we're willing to recognize that fact. All right, so let's start with some myths about gun control. First off, uh, this myth that society is guilty or that it's the gun's fault or that it's, it's, it's a lack of regulations. Okay, Ronald Reagan said we must reject the idea that every time a law is broken, society is guilty rather than the lawbreaker. It is time to restore the American precept that each individual is accountable for his actions. We have done the exact opposite. We've made it so that you're no longer responsible for your actions. My generation, the generation following me, it's not, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's my boss's fault. If I just had this, then I could do this. If I just did this, then this would happen. If you would just do this, if so-and-so would do this, then I could... No, no. We are responsible for our own actions. We must reject the notion that every time a law is broken, society is guilty. Someone else is guilty. Something else is guilty. No, it's the individual that is guilty. It's not, you know, we, we can, we're going to talk about the failure of the FBI. We're going uh, to talk about guns and if there's more that we should be doing there. But the bottom line is, it's not the FBI's fault this happened. It's not President Trump's fault this happened. It's not his parents' fault this happened. It's not the gun's fault that this happened. It's Nicholas's Cruz's fault that this happened. People are killed by drunk driving. We haven't banned cars. Why? Because the vehicle's not the issue. We don't talk about how police failed to pull them over in time because ultimately it's, it's not the cop's fault that you chose to get in that car and drive drunk. People are killed by knives in this country ten times more often than by guns, but we haven't banned knives. Why? Because knives aren't the problem. And I know it's so, so difficult, uh, especially in light of what we've just seen. It's so difficult to think about this. But if you can come to see a gun as a car, it completely changes your perspective. You say, well, it's not the same at all. A, a vehicle is a tool that we use. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. Some of them are shiny. Some of them are old. Some of them are new. But it's a tool in the end. It's a tool to transport you from one place to another. Firearms are also a tool. Some of them are big, some of them are small, some of them are shiny, some of them are new, some of them are old, but at the end of the day, it's a tool. The problem, largely, is that we've been programmed by Hollywood and by tragedies of the past and by military coups and different things to where we equate guns with bad guys who want to do bad things. But in reality, Guns are just a tool, and it's so hard for us as a society to wrap our minds around that idea because we've seen so many bad things happen with guns. It's hard to think about guns as simply being a tool when we just saw 17 innocent people's lives taken violently away from them. But the hard reality in this whole issue is that gun control hurts those that it aims to protect. Now, Bill Whittle tells a, a great uh, analogy and to this regard, he talks about how, you know, you, you could be on an African safari and you see a lion chasing a gazelle and 
you know, the lion catches up with the gazelle and no one wants to stop the gazelle from having the opportunity to try and defend itself by using its horns or by kicking with its hooves. That's all it has and it's trying to keep the predator away. No one wants to cut the horns off the gazelle so that the next time the lion chases it, it has no means to defend itself. But in many respects, that's what happens if we go down the avenues proposed by many gun control advocates. You're simply cutting the horns off the gazelle and making it easier for the predators to consume their prey. And if you make the prey easier to obtain, you end up with more predators. Uh, secondly, we, we need to reject this notion that gun-free zones are somehow the answer. No, gun-free zones are anything but gun-free. The Gun-Free Zones Act uh, in 1990 by then-Senator Biden uh, was introduced by then-Senator Biden, and 92% of shootings since 1990 have happened where? In gun-free zones. That's according to Crime Prevention Resource Center. It sounds cliche, but it's still true that the best, fastest way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. There's a reason that these individuals go to schools to shoot people and not to police stations. Why? Because they know they'll get shot back. And I know there's a lot more to it than that. There are personal reasons behind many of these shootings. But guns deter crime. They do. Guns allow people to defend and protect themselves. 100 times as many murders are prevented by guns each year in this country as are caused by them. 100 times as many. Third is this notion that if we just had more laws and more background checks, then this would all stop. It wouldn't. Now, obviously, there are some issues with some of our background checks and some of our systems and some of our agent or states uh, failing to report uh, information time in a timely fashion to the background check system. But overall, and I'll, I'll explain later in the program uh, more about this, but for the most part, many of these shootings that we've seen in recent years were preventable if laws we already have in place had been followed. But there are obvious laws being broken in each instance of, of, of school shooting or mass shooting. First off, it's illegal to murder people. That is against the law. It is illegal to have a gun at school. That's against the law. We can keep adding more laws, but laws don't stop criminals. That's what makes them criminals. It's that they have no respect or regard for the law. And, and on top of that, Gun laws don't stop people who want to do bad things from finding ways to do that or from finding guns. Take this example uh, from my friend Stephen Crowder. Well, actually, Courtney, Courtney Kirchhoff uh, wrote this over at Louder with Crowder. But a Maryland high school student, just this week we learned that a Maryland high school student had guns, hand grenades, and explosives at his home. The Hill reported that a high school student who allegedly took a loaded gun to his Mount Montgomery County, Maryland school last week had a list of grievances against other students and multiple weapons at his home. The 18-year-old was arrested after bringing a loaded handgun and a knife to Clarksburg High School. According to multiple reports, he also had an AR-15-style rifle, grenades, landmines, a tactical vest, and a list of grievances, along with other weapons at his home. Now, I'm not sure what an AR-15-style rifle is. I don't know if that just means it looks scary. It's either an AR-15 or it is not. But grenades, landmines, other weapons? Where do you find these things? I've never been walking around Sand Club's, Sam's Club and been like, oh, look, a landmine. I wonder if I need one of those. Like, are the, Can you buy this on Amazon Prime? Grenades? Maryland takes its gun control very seriously. They have a ban on assault weapons. And yet this 18-year-old still owned 
what the media would report as an assault weapon, not to mention grenades and landmines. Maryland is one of the strictest states in this country. And yet this kid, who had a list of grievances, had multiple weapons, including what the media would refer to as an assault weapon, which I'm not sure that any weapon is not an assault weapon if used to assault someone, but I'm going to get off topic if I go there. He had grenades and landmines. Wow. That's pretty serious. Next up is this myth that AR-15s are machine guns and no one needs one of those. And this whole issue of assault rifles and how assault rifles are a popular choice for mass shootings. That is not actually true. Granted, we see them most recently and often in school shootings in particular, but in fact, handguns are actually responsible for more than 80% of total mass shootings, according to the New York Times. That's not a Fox News article or a Blaze article, it's the New York Times. Lois Beckett wrote an article titled The Assault Weapon Myth for the New York Times, which states that handguns are responsible for more than 80% of total mass shootings. Now, when it comes to AR-15s specifically, we should talk about the purpose and intent of the Second Amendment. Now, it doesn't matter if you believe that you need a gun to hunt, because if you live in America, you really don't. You can go buy your food at a grocery store. Regardless of if you need a gun to protect yourself, you, I mean, it's nice, but technically you, you probably don't. I mean, unless you live in a really, really bad neighborhood, odds are probably in your favor that nothing is ever going to happen. But that's not what the Second Amendment is about. The Second Amendment isn't about hunting. The Second Amendment isn't even about protecting yourself. The Second Amendment was put in place specifically to keep the government in check, to keep politicians in check. The Second Amendment was made to protect you from a tyrannical government. You might think that's unnecessary. You might think it's crazy. You might think that's just over the top. But stick with me for a minute when I mention this. I don't know about you, but personally, I see our country now more than ever since the 1860s on the brink of a potential civil war. You know who's going to win that war? You know who's going to survive that war? Not the side with the best slogans or the biggest protests. It'll be the side with the most firepower. I know that sounds crude and impossible because this is America, but unfortunately I don't see it as out of the realm of possibility as I would have probably 10 years ago. And our founding fathers believed that you deserve the right to protect yourself from your government. They did not give you a gun because they believed in your right to hunt or even in your right to defend yourself from a rapist or a serial killer. Those are good uses of a firearm, but the founders intended for you to be able to defend yourself against your government. Again, you may think that sounds crazy, but there are a lot of people around this world who, believe me, wish they would have had a weapon to defend themselves against the government when the government came knocking at their door. And our founding fathers saw that. Our founding fathers knew that. And that is the entire purpose of the Second Amendment. Now, granted, the government has actual machine guns, and your AR-15 is no match for their M4 or their AK-47. But since you, if you have an AR-15, do have more shots in your cartridge, most likely, you'd probably last a few minutes or a few hours longer or maybe be able to save one of your family members better with an AR-15 than you could with a 9mm Glock. But your AR-15 isn't an automatic weapon. Automatic weapons, think uh, machine guns, are already illegal. The one where you can just hold back the trigger and and just, just wipe out everyone and everything. That is not an AR-15. Machine guns are already illegal. You can't make them more illegal. They already are. What you have with an AR-15 is similar to what you'd have with your 9mm Glock. One pull of the trigger equals one bullet fired. Every bullet requires you to pull the trigger. The AR-15 might look a lot scarier than a handgun, and yeah, without training it's more accurate and can shoot further, but both firearms do the same thing, really. They each shoot one bullet for one trigger pull, and each one of those bullets, regardless of which gun they came from, can have deadly consequence and often do. So do you need an AR-15? No. 
Do you need a handgun? Probably not. But if we're going to talk about things that we need, do you need a car? No. Do you need hot water? No. But just because you don't need something doesn't inherently mean the government should deny you access to it, particularly if that something is a right that our founding fathers held akin to the freedoms of speech, religion, press, and assembly. Next up is this thought that other countries that have stricter gun control laws are safer than the United States. This is simply uh, not true. The highest, uh, the, the four countries with the highest gun ownership rates in the world are the United States, Yemen, Switzerland, and Finland. Four countries with the highest homicide rates around the world, Honduras, El Salvador, Cote d'Ivoire, and Jamaica. The United States is 103rd on that list. A recent study in the Harvard Journal of Law and Public Policy concluded that there is a negative correlation between gun ownership and violent crime in countries internationally. That means where there's more guns, there's less crime. Nations with strict gun control laws have substantially higher murder rates than those who do not in general. In fact, the nine European nations with the lowest gun ownership rate have a combined murder rate three times that of the nine European nations with the highest gun ownership rate. So owning guns does not equate to high uh, percentages of murders in a country. The United Kingdom. Is a, is a great example of this. It is the most violent country in the European Union. And in the UK, possession of handguns is illegal. But let's compare. Per 100,000 people in the UK, there are 2,034 violent crimes committed. Per 100,000 people in the United States, 466 violent crimes are committed. In the decade following the Labor Party's election and banning of handguns in 1997, the number of recorded violent attacks soared by 77% to 1.2 million in 2007, which is more than two attacks, two violent attacks, every minute in the UK. Kitchen knives are being used in as many as half of all stabbings in the United Kingdom and has prompted a group of doctors to call for a ban on long-pointed kitchen knives. Are, are you following that? The UK, where possessions of guns is illegal, is the most violent country in the European Union. There are more than two attacks Every minute. Two violent attacks every minute in the United Kingdom. A gun-free country. And I could go on. We're going to run out of time, so I can't. But that's that's a... I could... I could there are so many examples of this. And if you're interested, I can get you... Um, I can get you a whole chart of countries around the world. And you can look at how... Gun ownership does, in fact, lead to less crime. When people are free to own firearms and defend themselves, there's less crime. Okay, we don't have time to take a break. I'm just going to keep going through. So those are, those are a few of the common myths related to this whole gun control and gun ownership issue. All right, now let's talk about some possible remedies. Again, these aren't solutions, and I'll explain that in a few minutes. But let's talk about some possible remedies to this tragedy like that had happened in, uh, in Parkland. First off, I think we should have a serious conversation about having armed guards at each one of our schools. We can also allow our teachers to conceal carry. Not every teacher. I don't, I don't know that that would be uh, necessary. I'm not, they sh I think that they should at least have the opportunity to do so if they would like to do so, but I don't think it should be regulated that each teacher should be required to carry a firearm. But at the very least, we should have multiple teachers, uh, coaches, someone in each school that is armed. There should be armed guards at our schools. There should be bulletproof glass. There should be ways to lock all the doors, key card access. We need to secure our schools so that things like this uh, are not able to happen. Or at the very least, if they do happen, and I believe they will continue to happen in the future, that we can 
we can stem the tide of evil and be able to secure uh, young people as much as possible when someone who has who is wanting to perpetrate evil enters and is bent on doing so. Secondly, I think that CPR and first aid training that all teachers in our schools should have access to and should be trained in first aid and CPR for free. All right, they shouldn't be having to pay for it. They shouldn't be having to take uh, their own time to do that. This should be something that our schools are providing for our teachers. I think we should provide CPR and first aid training for our high schoolers free. We should have defibrillators in every school with staff trained on how to use them. You know, we have stories of these uh, junior ROTC students shielding their fellow classmates with Kevlar mats. And I realize it's probably not practical to put Kevlar mats in every classroom, but there should be a way, there can be a way to lock every door, lock in the students, lock the bad guys out. I get that we need windows in the doors for safety's sake, but let's make that glass bulletproof. Let's find a way to work together to equip every classroom to somehow, some way, protect themselves in the event that it becomes necessary to do so. Will that be expensive? Yes. Do you think it's worthwhile? I do. Thirdly, we need to start holding government agencies accountable. Federal government agencies in particular. The FBI admitted that it did not respond appropriately uh, to the warning that we talked about in the beginning of this program from a person close to Nicholas Cruz who specifically told the FBI that it is possible that he will commit a school shooting. The FBI was provided information about his gun ownership, about his desire to kill people, about his erratic behavior, his disturbing social media posts, and the potential of him conducting a school shooting, and failed to act on this information. We know that the FBI was informed about him multiple times, but to no avail. Since 2015, the Charleston Church shooter, the Orlando nightclub shooter, the Sutherland Springs Church shooter, and the Parkland school shooter each happened after federal authorities missed chances to stop them. That's four horrific mass shootings in four years, each of which could have been stopped by federal systems and agencies, but were not and cost more than 100 lives. Hear that now. Policies and procedures we already have in place, already in place, could have and should have stopped the Charleston Church shooter, the Pulse nightclub shooter, the Sutherland Springs Church shooter, and this most recent Parkland School shooter. We already have procedures that could have prevented each one of these shootings. They weren't Trump's fault. They weren't Obama's fault. It's federal agencies failing to do their jobs. In this case, in Parkland, the FBI failed horrifically, failed to do their job. The people in our federal government failed... And it, it, it's, it's a pattern now of failure. So here's the question. Where's the accountability there? What happens when there's a failure like this? Okay, so uh, background checks. Um, everyone's like, well, it's obvious we need to expand or enhance them or do something. I, I, I'm running out of time, so I can't get into how federally there are already, uh, if, you, if you have a felony on your record, you cannot own a gun. Um, federal laws many times are stricter than state laws. Sometimes state laws are stricter. There's guns that, or gun laws rather that overlap. Um, there, there's already systems in place to where if you are a, a criminal to one degree or another, you may not own a firearm. But what about if you don't have a criminal record? What if the police are regularly at your house? What if the people around you know that you are capable of and likely prone to do something evil and commit an atrocious act? Maybe we should look into that avenue of things. Maybe if your family or friends or social media followers followers think that you're crazy and they're the ones that know you best, right, then maybe they should have more power. Maybe we should empower them to help law enforcement, and they can. It's called a GVRO. It's also, it's, a, it's known as the red flag law. And I believe that this is a measure that both conservatives and those on the left can support because it doesn't uh, mess with the Second Amendment, Second Amendment rights of individuals. Uh, it's not something where your neighbor could just go to law enforcement and be like, hey, my neighbor's crazy because they're mad at you because you didn't cut your front lawn and get your gun rights taken away. No, this is a thing where uh, individuals who know you well that are related to you or that are your close friend can take actual, tangible, real evidence 
either screenshots or things that you've written or videos that they have, that they can take these things to law enforcement and have um, and have a law enforcement personnel issue you a GVRO. It's called a gun violence restraining order. California's done something like this. It's worked pretty well for them. Um, they don't do very many things well, but this has apparently worked well. So essentially what this is, is uh, it permits a spouse, parent, sibling, or person living with a troubled individual to petition a court for an order enabling law enforcement to temporarily take the individual's gun rights away. So if it's well-crafted, a GVRO would contain uh, these elements. It would limit those who have uh, standing to seek the order to a narrowly defined class of people, so close relatives, those living with the respondent, um, possibly neighbors, close friends, right? Secondly, it should require petitioners to come forward with clear, convincing, admissible evidence that the respondent is in significant danger or is a danger to himself or others. Three, it should grant the respondent an opportunity to contest the claims against him or her. And four, in the event of an emergency, a full hearing could be scheduled quickly, preferably within 72 hours. And five, that the order should lapse after a defined period of time unless petitioners can come forward with clear and convincing evidence that it should remain in place. So it's, it's, a, it's an easy, simple, but I think effective solution, not solution, remedy to this issue. Uh, David French wrote about this in National Review Online. You can go read about it more there if you want, but it's called a GVRO. Uh, Senator Marco Rubio has been encouraging this as well. I mean, look, the FBI has failed repeatedly. We've seen it. Maybe families would do a better job. And then fifthly, we need to start focusing more on people. I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about guns when I say this, but why is it that every news report I've seen related to this issue in the days following the tragedy, why was it that the reporters were more focused on the gun rather than on the individual committing the crime? I mean, I get that we don't want to give them notoriety, but shouldn't we be more concerned about the fact that our society is producing mass killers than whether or not the founders intended for us to be allowed to own scary-looking guns? Look, our children are killing children. There is something seriously, sickeningly wrong with a culture that creates this sort of environment. You know, maybe if we weren't rejecting and declining uh, thoughts and prayers. Maybe if we talked more about why people pray. And why they think that prayer is a good solution. Maybe that would be something we should look at. Because evil is going to find a way. Our country is at a place where we are living with an epidemic of violence. And in the end, what we really want is we want to ban violence. We want to blame something. We want to have anything that we can touch and feel and control that we can blame and that we can ban. When we really, and, and so we think it's the gun, but it's not the gun because what we really want is to ban violence and murder and insanity. But we can't ban those because they're built into the human race. Evil is a part of us. Sin is a part of us, but we don't want to believe that. We want to cling to this idea that's false, that mankind is inherently good and that if things were just better for man, then he would be better too. We don't want to admit that maybe it's a heart problem. Because if we recognize evil as being inherent in the heart of man, if we come to see that we have a people problem rather than a gun problem, then we're left with the very real questions of, what do we do about it? What do we do with evil in the hearts of men? How did it get there in the first place? And is there a cure for it? And the answer, which is probably obvious to many of you listening, is Jesus Christ. But if you throw God out and you don't want Jesus to be part of the answer, then you can't get to the bottom, the root cause of the problem. Because the only solution for the root cause is Jesus. So those are some thoughts uh, that I've been batting around in my head and talking about with my family 
the past uh, the past week and a half or so as related to uh, gun control and gun violence in this country and just violence in general in this country. You know, if it's something that you or your family or a friend is struggling with just in general, uh, Focus on the Family has a page up. It's focusonthefamily.com slash tragedy. Uh, there's some good information there that you may want to uh, you may want be interested in. Um, also, for those of you living here in Clark County that might be interested in this, tonight at 6 p.m., the Clark County School District Board of Trustees is going to hold a, uh, a, a working meeting. The full board is going to be in attendance there, and a vote is going to take place on whether to move forward on policy recommendations uh, for transgender and gender-diverse students. So that meeting uh, is going to be held at the Greer Building, which is at 2802 East Flamingo Road uh, downtown. Um, the policies that they're looking at, the recommendations as they stand, uh, would allow potentially the following scenarios to take place. It would allow a biological boy to change in a female locker room if he identifies as a female, uh, regardless of if there has been any sort of uh, hormone therapy or otherwise, if you will. I don't want to get too uh, into this because it is a family program, but for those parents that are listening. Uh, Secondly, it could allow a boy who identifies as a female to share a room and possibly a bed with a female student on overnight field trips. And thirdly, it would allow a student, with the assistance of the school district, to transition to another gender without parental notification. So, uh... This is this is uh, this is kind of a big deal, obviously, for our county. This is if this is a meeting that you would like to attend and uh, and help to mention that you know perhaps you would be opposed to someone who is a boy who identifies as a female to share a room and possibly a bed with a female student on an overnight trip, or uh, allow a biological boy uh, to change in the female's uh, locker room. If these are things that you think are not a good idea, today would be a great day to contact uh, your school board members, let them know your thoughts about this. And if you'd be interested in attending this meeting, it is this evening, 6 o'clock at the Greer Building, which is located at 2802 East Flamingo Flamingo, uh, Road. All that it takes for evil to prosper is for good men and good women to do nothing. So I would encourage you... uh, Take the time to contact our Clark County School District Board of Trustees. Let them know how you feel about this issue because it is going to be voted on this evening. Okay? Again, that's going to take place at 6 o'clock. The Greer Building is located at 2802 East Flamingo Road for those of you who might be interested uh, in attending or in uh, possibly talking with school board members prior to that vote taking place. That's all the time we have left for today. Thank you for being here. Tomorrow is Fun Friday. Tomorrow we talk about no politics. It will just be fun. And I'm going to give things away. So I hope you'll join us for that. We'll see you back here tomorrow, same time, same place. KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas.